Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. Matt Messiano and Tom Bunnell here. No Jordan Weimer, but I think we'll manage to do without him. Uh, by the way, though, uh, there is a fantastic video that uh, you can catch up with. I'm going to play a little bit in the show, uh, but the full thing is available and you can search for that on YouTube. Watford Analytics is uh, the name of uh, Jordan's handle. Go and give that a watch because it is fantastic. All about the new man. Rob Edwards, speaking about which we will be talking to a reporter from Forest Green Rovers, Laurie Martin, who will be joining us on the show a bit later. But let's talk about first the the most recent game. It was last night, Watford versus Everton, uh, the penultimate home match for Watford uh, in a game that ultimately didn't really matter too much for Watford now that they relegated. But Tom Bedell went along to the game. Tom, it finished nil-nil in the end. What was what was the game like though? Yeah, it was a funny sort of game I didn't I think as we've all sort of said one way or another and a lot of people had said on Twitter that weren't really sure what to expect um and what we got wasn't what I expected it was much more placid and much more calmer than I had imagined I thought people would be angry I thought people would take that out on the team but I think the fact that there were so many first team players missing um who kind of you know carried that culpability protected the guys that came in and also the appointment of Rob Edwards, I think, earlier in the day, the announcement that that was you know, done was quite a smart PR move by the club, if it was intentional. If not, it was a happy accident, but it, it took a bit of the sting out, you know. Um, I think that really helped. So it wasn't as kind of toxic as I expected, <laughs> um, which was a good thing, I think, because, uh, you know, it's not conducive to anything. And we just need to finish with a bit of positivity this season uh, to try and, you know, give Rob Edwards and co the the best platform for next year as a performance goes you know it's not going to live long in the memory it was not a good game two poor sides kind of really struggling to find any kind of rhythm or anything and and, and really get going Everton probably had the better chances on the basis that they actually had a few efforts on target I think there was only really one effort that had Ben Foster stretching Uh, a couple of dangerous balls flashed across the place a goal which had Richarlison gambled on he would have had the easy job of stabbing home but all that said, I think there was. It felt like there was a lot more fight and determination and what have you from the players. You know, it felt like they were playing for some element of pride. There was, you know, more intent, and we started fairly well, lost our way a bit, and then finished fairly strongly as well. So, not the worst. I've definitely seen worse performances this season, certainly at home, but fairly obviously lacking quality. And I think if there was a a kind of match of the day review of the season, it would probably be one of the last games on uh, for the, the season as a whole. So. Uh, pretty instantly forgettable in summary. 
yeah, a whole host of changes for Watford. Um, what did you make of that extensive injury list? Have to be careful what we say here, don't we? We don't mm. want to um, don't want to potentially land ourselves in hot water uh, by slandering anyone. But um, it seems highly coincidental that so many players were suddenly unavailable. Um, the, the game after relegation, you know, obviously Imran loses injured. We've seen the picture of him having had surgery. Obviously, Hassan Kamara is serving a suspension. A couple of those guys made it regardless, didn't they? I think Jao Pedro was one of the ones that was on the, the doubtful list, but he made it. Um, but there are certainly some players on there on that list who, um, yeah, you have question marks over uh, or the extent of their unavailability. Well done. I think you got through that um, uh, as well as you could have done. Um, I mean, some of the players that uh, featured there, it gave us a chance to have a look at... Um, some who we haven't seen, you know, really all season. I mean, what was Gosling's performance like for you? Sam Gosling was really quite good, Matt. Um, it was a pleasant surprise. I'd almost forgotten he existed. Um, not to say that I want us to build around him next season or that we've missed a trick, but he was good and he played like he had a point to prove, which I suppose he did after being so sort of marginalised all season. He was tidy on the ball, energetic, worked hard, broke play up you know, got forwards, he did a really quite solid job. And obviously this is all kind of measured against the fact that expectations were fairly low. You know, we're, we're talking a low bar here. But I, I thought he, he was one of the guys that actually probably stood out the most and um, gave a really, really decent account of himself. And assuming he can do 90 minutes again so soon after... Or, or, or start so soon after doing 90 minutes on, on Wednesday night, I wouldn't be surprised to see him getting a nod against Leicester as well on Sunday. I mean, very early days, but um, putting himself in contention for next season, or do you think that that's already decided? <sighs> it's a hard one to answer because I think central midfield is probably quite up in the air, isn't it? Cleverly's out of contract. Uh, Sissoko obviously has this, famously has this break clause. Kutska, we're really not sure about what the situation with is with him. So the only ones that you could say are probably almost definitely, nothing is definite, going to be here next season are, are probably Kayembe and, and Imran Luza. So, you know, maybe there's an opportunity there, but I suspect he will be a good squad player uh, in, in all likelihood. I would, I would certainly like to see us go out and recruit someone mm. um, to play in that role who's a bit, bit younger and a bit more dynamic. Yeah, certainly. And a front three of uh, Kalu, Sema and Jao Pedro. Uh, I don't think those three have played together all season, I think. Uh, no, certainly not. Um, yeah, funny uh, funny trio I found most peculiar. Well, not peculiar because you see it all the time, but was Kalu and, and uh, Sema switching sides quite regularly. The reason I say that is I've seen Sema on the right before and he's the most left-footed player ever. So you know he's always going to come inside. He's got no comfort on his right foot, but actually he did quite a good job. And, and probably outshone Kalu, who threatened in the early minutes to do something, but actually quite often was just a little bit uninvolved, very sort of passive, you know, didn't really want to run at his man, you know, a little bit safe when he got the ball. And, and to be honest, it was kind of Ngakia down that right-hand side who looked like he was going to run at the, the, the left-back Mikalenko, left-wing-back Mikalenko and, and try and make things happen, which isn't necessarily what you associate with being Ngakia's natural game. Pedro did well in flashes, neat sort of touches and whatnot. A couple of bits of lovely trickery. They, you know, did a few 
sort of uh, uh, manoeuvres to get out of awkward positions and what have you. Dropped quite deep, I thought. Didn't really play as a, a kind of natural striker. And then and then, um, and then, then Semmer, you just know what you're going to get with Semmer, don't you? Lacks the quality for the Premier League, but he barrels around and works hard and generally sort of makes, makes a nuisance to himself. A um, couple of decent set pieces, a couple of questionable set pieces, but certainly no worse than anyone else this season. He was at least beating the first man, which mm-hmm. can't always be said for our set piece takers. So, yeah, he, um, again, is probably someone that we know isn't Premier League level really, but is a perfectly adequate option in the Championship. You just wouldn't want to be relying on him as a starter um, in the majority of games. Given that Watford were, were missing some of their, their biggest stars in quote. Uh, they haven't really performed that well this season. But um, were you surprised at Everton, who, you know, really need the points to make sure that they, uh, you know, remain in the Premier League this season, weren't as dangerous as they, as they could have been? Yes, def- no, definitely. They looked a little bit nervy in the first five minutes, a couple of, you know, you know overhitting the ball or just being a bit tentative and whatnot. But they, you know, they never really got going and... and put us under, you know, sort of laid siege on our goal. There was the one chance, I say, Richarlison had shot, deflected off someone and Foster made a really decent reaction save. A couple of balls... Great save. Yeah, a couple of balls flashed across that had someone gambled, they would have finished off. But that really, you know, was it. We felt like we repelled them quite quite well and resisted any threat that they, uh, they offered up. I don't... I think it was almost a must-not-lose game for them, given the the situation and the fact they've got the game in hand. You know, they probably would have taken the point and and have been happy to guarantee the point, then gamble for three and potentially get none. You know, um, but you know, if I was Everton, I'd be a bit if supporters. I'd be a bit disappointed because you know, coming away to a team that's already been relegated, putting out virtually a third string. Um, and uh, throw into that as well quite how poor we are at home have been at home our record um, you would have thought three points would have been a must so yeah they they were not good it was it was a sea of mediocrity in, in front of me from from both sides on the bench for Watford we had uh, four youngsters Morris Kukul Blake and Greaves but um unfortunately for those of us who wanted to see some of the the younger ones get a chance they, none of them uh, none of them came on yeah, it was disappointing, I must admit. Honestly, you know, I know I've just said we want to finish uh, on a positive and on a high and what have you, but honestly, I think um, Everton was so bloody uh, poor. I think we could have probably thrown on at least one of them and, 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 and not kind of upset the balance of things um, too much. I would hope we see someone, you know, between now and the end of the season. It would be nice, you know, nothing nothing placates uh, supporters like seeing one of their own, does it? So it, w- it would be nice to get them in. It just felt very Roy Hodgson with sort of five minutes to go that we'd bring off Kalu, who wasn't very good, but was one of the kind of new faces. And, and we brought on Craig Cathcart, 33 years old, 230-odd <laughs> Watford appearances. Uh, it was the equivalent of an England-friendly when, you know, Harry Kane comes on and you just think, what can we possibly learn? And I know it was to help see out the game, but you just think, we're a bit far past that point now. So there we are. Uh, it was a small blot otherwise, really. Yeah, I suppose, you know, because Norwich are still, you know, within touching distance, it's important to make sure you finish 19th because there's, uh, you know, probably about a million and a half worth of yeah. uh, extra extra well, that's money. It. On, on, Quite, on table, that's though. it. There's the additional prize money. There's the stigma of finishing bottom. You know, there's no reason why we can't kind of secure 19th, as it were. Um, it, it all helps, doesn't it? And, 
as I say, I just think between now and the end of the season, the, the MO is is finishing with something to build on for next year, isn't it, for Rob Edwards and Co. So any little thing that can be done to to do that is 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 important, is imperative, I would say, in fact. Just finally, before we speak to Laurie Martin, um, in the build-up to this game, we, we got an, uh, an apology from Roy Hodgson for hmm. perhaps uh, some, you know misguided uh, applause that he gave to the Crystal Palace fans that, without really thinking about what had just happened yes. previously. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Do you know what? You can only judge someone by their actions, can't you? And he's apologised for it and, and recognised it was probably a silly way to act and, and whatnot. Um, I must admit, I've, you know, as I've said and written and whatnot, I've, I've tried to not hop on this anti-Hodgson bandwagon too much, but that really did grind my gears and I just thought it was tone deaf as I said with Jordan last weekend but you know fair enough he's he's kind of uh, admitted fault there whether sincere or not who knows and apologise but I think we're we're kind of over it now aren't we with the appointment of Rob Edwards and I think that was so important to get that done early that we could say right we're looking to the future we've got this positive thing to look forward to we know that the, the end is of this we can kind of close the book on this miserable season and and look forward very shortly. So that's what I'm going to be doing. And uh, roll on next season. Roll on next season. Right, OK, let's move on to happier times then because uh, Watford have appointed a new head coach in Rob Edwards. And I know at the start of the show we said that Jordan wasn't going to be featuring today, but he is because we've got uh, a little snippet that he's recorded for us. In fact, he's recorded for everybody. It's available on his YouTube channel, Watford Analytics. And I... Uh, I tell you now go out there and watch that because it really is very good if you want to know exactly how uh the forest green rovers his his most recent side played and what we possibly can see uh coming up uh at vicarage road we've got a little snippet from that that is kindly uh lent us and uh, we're going to play that now before talking to uh, someone who saw all of his games last season laurie martin from gloucestershire live so let's have a little dip in to watford analytics this is somewhat of an introduction to Rob Edwards. So it's an interesting choice from us. I think it's a, it's a positive one. It fits, as I said, a lot of what we claim to be looking for. Uh, so we can we can find some real positives from that. And it's uh, it's a much different approach to what we've, we've, we've had in recent years. It's a, it's a stark contrast to what we've got currently with Hodgson. You know, 39-year-old coach, younger coach. He's got some experience with it, uh, with him playing. He had a, a kind of relatively short career. Injuries didn't make a ton of appearances, but he has managed at some um, at some interesting levels. He was the under-16s head coach for uh, the England setup prior to joining Forest Green Rovers, which is kind of partly where he um, he kind of made a bit of a name for himself in terms of his coaching style and, and philosophies. So that's something that earned him a good reputation. And obviously, his time at Forest has been really good um positive he's got really good um background in terms of uh in terms of coaching but it seems to be his man management style has been very highly talked about um he has a good relationship with the players the, the staff the, the the fans which you know we kind of needed someone who could maybe be a little bit more in touch with a few of those things but there's a history there of developing younger players and he's continued that at forest green rovers uh, they've got quite a young squad and it's developed nicely. He's he kind of got his ideas across very quickly um, and implemented them successfully, which is obviously something which everyone looks for, um, and, and especially us. Uh, so we'll kind of we'll talk about his style of play. He, he's going to be someone that's be operating with a three-at-the-back system. It's very versatile. It's adaptable. 
Uh, you can find ways to, to to play in different sorts of games, but also if you are ultimately looking to gain promotion, it's a system that you can you can take from being very offensive based to defensive based without having to change a lot of recruitment style. You can still have that flexibility in there. You, you can use similar players. You can use similar approaches, but you can tweak it. And it is it's a versatile um, way of playing that's becoming very popular. You look at teams that are looking to gain promotion, or even avoid relegation. It's often the three at the back system that's being used successfully. Just kind of going through how the team fared over the course of the season. Obviously, you look at the overview there. There's a Forest Green were were pretty dominant in a lot of ways. They finished season with expected points of 86.4, position 84 points. Um, but the things we want to point out in particular, expected goals 81.2. They you know, slightly underperformed, but that's common, uh, very common. 75 is actually a pretty close differential. It's not bad at all. But, you know, dominant, obviously, first in the league there. And the same goes for expected goals against as well. The lowest expected goals against ratio in the league. Uh, and also, they conceded 44, so it's not bad. Um, it's good. It's really positive. Uh, it, it, I mean, to be the team that's obviously scoring the most and conceding the least, that's what you look for. And it's it's hard to draw from in some ways. When you have a team that's dominant like that, you you know, you might look at these things as being expected if they're winning the league, of course. But... You know, it's worth noting these are these are important um, metrics as, as as simplistic as they are in some ways. Um, it, you know, it's, it's worth pointing out. Again, though, this, we touched on earlier working with younger players, age of the squad, twenty five years old, average age. Obviously, our demographic is a little bit different. We might be expecting some change on that front, but working with younger players is something we claim to want to do. So to to have a team that is so successful running a younger age kind of range like that is is impressive. So that's something that we should we should keep in mind um this kind of, next thing kind of, kind of goes into how they how they've set up and how they did play at um forest green rovers and what edwards looks to looks to bring out from his team so it, from an attacking standpoint just on the metrics that stand out um in particular you've got the crosses which forest green come to be at the top there i mean per 90 minutes 17 crosses per game i mean the axis is pretty decent i mean the crossing axis is always going to be rare to be low but it's, it's decent um it's towards the top end there but you know, they're getting in 17 a game on average. And that's that's so much that comes from those wingbacks. And we're going to be discussing the wingbacks quite a lot as we go on here because they are very important to the way that Rob Edwards' teams operate and how I expect us to look in, in the coming season. As well as the crosses, we also have seen the progressive runs have been something that stood out. Yeah, so right towards the top again. I mean, per 90, they're still very, very high here. Um, 15.23. And again, a lot of that is coming from those wingbacks. They are able to drive forward uh, getting crosses in there offensively extremely useful and they have to be top top players and I think that's that's something we're going to have to address and we'll get into that further shortly we'll continue just discussing here the style of play and, and what to expect from this uh, from this Rob Edwards team so we're kind of starting off in the first phase we'll talk about possession how the team operates um, kind of when on the ball so that you see already back three, obviously it's a three, four, one, two. So you've got two deep midfielders, a little bit more of an advanced kind of attacking midfielder, two strikers, and your wing backs are pushing up nice and high. Uh, we've seen we've seen very similar systems. We've seen similar systems deployed at Watford uh, in, in recent years. This one's a little bit more possession dominant. It's not massively kind of like not 60, 70% possession, but it is a little bit higher. They do want to control the ball. Um, there's going to be some possession in there. At times it can be quite narrow, but they have that, that the athleticism in the team to be able to get wide, move quickly, play at a high tempo and still get back into shape and organise. They're not necessarily a, a sit-back, deep defensive team. Quite narrow at times, can press out to be wide, um, control the ball. Timing is really good in the past. They have to be precise 
uh, when you're playing in that back three, it's, it's all about kind of finding those spaces and working those angles. It's a little bit different. Um, but if you have the control uh, and the ability to do so, it can be really, really effective. Um, the centre midfielder in there, which is something we're probably going to be expecting or hoping to see Imran Luza kind of operating in this area, playing quite deep, picking up the ball, allowing those centre backs to move around him, uh, finding ways to be incisive and get the ball forward to progressing the ball from deeper areas of midfield. That's a real key component of this team is having someone that can do that and kind of dictate that tempo. And I think Imran Luza is someone that definitely can do can be that player for us. I think if it comes to retaining one player this season, he might be the, the most important due to that aspect of the game. Uh, and the centre-backs as well. This is something that is a little bit of a concern for me, is is the centre-back play. It's, it's good. Um, I like how he uses the centre-backs, but whether we um, are capable, as we are, I don't, I'm not sure we're capable of kind of executing this game plan. And it's a, it's a vital part of how of how this Forest team attacks. So we have to kind of find a way of doing this. And, and, and maybe that means kind of dipping into the market and, and changing the profile of our centre-backs to uh, facilitate this new game plan. But the centre-backs that do push up, I, I kind of went through and looked at some of their kind of more recent attacking plays. I looked at some of their goals and the, the centre-backs are quite heavily involved in, in a lot of them. Uh, it, it's not what we've seen previously when it comes to how how we play with a back three. This one is a little bit more faster tempo, a little bit more fluid um, and more engaging in, in that back line. I will kind of just discuss real quickly here the problems that we've had previously when playing in the back three. And we even have some of those players left over in this team now. So, you know, we have to we have to be aware of that and be cognizant of the fact that it's going to be a different approach and we have to find ways to blend this team as with new acquisitions and find a way to kind of progress. And I think that's what we have to be a little bit patient too. Um, so what, what are we trying to avoid when we're looking at this back three? What don't we want to see? Think back to uh, the Walter Mazzari time period. We played that back three and it could be quite quite stagnant or even uh, even Vladimir Ivic at times as well. What what do we want to avoid? And for me, it's always the, the dreaded U-shape of possession which comes about. Very often you end up with this outside centre-back on the ball. Generally, they're going to have most of the possession. Uh, we're going to see them with the ball a lot. Think back to um, Yunus Kabul on the right under Mazzari. We saw him often with the ball. Where's the outlet? How do we progress the ball? And how do you, how do you get out of these situations? So oftentimes, what's going to happen is you're going to have the opponent. He's going to be looking to, to cover space. So you'll be having someone come in. And where are your options? Suddenly, everything's closed off. You try to look for space, but it's difficult. It's difficult to find. So the opposition then, they're going to leave you with the one option. They're going to drop off a little bit. They're going to allow you that space. And where's the ball going to go? It's going to recycle. It's going to come across that back line. And the same thing is going to happen as you get to this side. Right? This is what we see time and time again. Now, often the, the way that a defender is going to look to get out of this situation, you have a runner from the front and... You're just going to get that ball going over the top and you end up the long ball situation and you know we all know how that how that ends for us it, it becomes repetitive it's ineffective so how do you look to get out of this situation how do you look to find ways uh, of being more positive in possession allowing yourself to play from the back but actually kind of open up space and, and be able to attack uh, and build uh, from there so we'll look at edwards kind of how he does this and some of the options he has so in this situation, you've got a few few ways you can get out. Now, for wing back, can can kind of press on, try and commit, allow a little bit of space for the mid, for the centre back to advance. And you've also got some uh, some some play that can be kind of manipulated from the ten here and the wing back together. Freedom of movement, fluidity. That's something that they have to give. You have to give freedom in the in these positions and. 
just allow those players to make these decisions because there are options and you might see you might see a wing back kind of dropping in a little bit maybe some switching of position making things confusing and allowing uh, that ball to progress or space for the center back and that's that's the difference we didn't have that at all previously we didn't have players that were able to to play a bit a little bit more incisively and positively and take some risks uh, and we need to have outside center backs that are willing to do this this is just one example of uh an area where we struggled before, and I think we still will struggle unless we kind of change a few things in, in terms of personnel. Uh, but another example here I'll go through real quick um, is use of the wing backs and, and the centre backs in those attacks. So you get the you get the ball here on the wing back and, and you're pressing up the field. Now it, it can still be it can still be difficult. You've kind of got that one man out wide uh, in these kind of three five two setups. So if you are playing against a a, a more traditional 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2 you're going to have a little bit of a double up kind of on the outside so you might see the, the the forward come and try and stretch that play a little bit commit the fullback but you want to keep those players active and hopefully in the box so how do you get this fullback forward obviously one of the options is to have someone that's good at carrying the ball and can beat a man but that that does bring some risk to it so you end up having the, the the trend that was kind of brought about from Sheffield United a few years ago where you had the underlapping centre-back this is obviously a commitment from that centre-back as there's some offensive and defensive risk, but it does take out a player from the game. If he's able to come through, you then create options for space to run into, whether you're committing uh, a man or you make, you're forcing a track of a runner. This is all very positive for the, for the attacking team. You commit that run, you've got step in, you have some space. Obviously, you get a step in, you get the ball over the top and behind and you've got someone in those four positions. It's actually surprising how often uh, number six from, from Green Rovers is getting into the box and, and you know causing problems. And most of the time it's a decoy. It's not necessarily that ball's going to get to six and he's going to travel on, have a shot on goal or get a pass, but it creates space. It creates opportunities, and it also allows you know your wingbacks to get forward. Midfielders can join the attack as well. Uh, you can have some width on the other side, or you can come narrow. And if you're getting your wingbacks forward in these positions, I mean, the, the amount of numbers you can get into the box, so often you look at Forest Green Rovers' goals, and the numbers they're kind of getting around the box, in the box, um, from the left or right-hand side, if you're having this ball kind of cut back, you can really be effective in these situations and it can be really difficult for the opposition to defend uh, such, such numbers coming forward. Yeah, so, okay, that's the main thing on the ball. Uh, off the ball, again, really interesting. It's a lot of uh, lot of high press, uh, high intensity, out of possession. They're going to get compact at times, but again, they have the athleticism to be able to get wide, uh, be aggressive in those situations and they, they set traps in midfield, which is really nice. The way they press can be, can be very smart. They're still patient. Uh, but they don't like to have time with the opponent on the ball. If they lose the ball, they're going to be quick to try and win it back. If the opponent has the ball, they're going to make it awkward. And we've seen before this does give you a lot of benefits in the attack as well. If you're turning balls over, if you're making the opposition make mistakes and you're capitalising on these chances, especially when you have the opportunity to get so many numbers forward, you can really punish teams that make mistakes. And in the championship, you are going to have teams that try and play out from the back a little bit. Uh, and you're also going to have teams that aren't quite good enough to do so. And it doesn't even have to be playing out from the back. It could be through midfield. If you're if you're smart in, in where you attack the other team, uh, if you were well-drilled, if there's a clear understanding, but it's not just kind of free-for-all pressing, which we've seen um, kind of under time, under even Ranieri recently, there's some real free-for-all pressing without any structure. And it can be chaotic. But if, you, if it's done correctly, there's still holes, but it can be a lot more manageable from a defensive standpoint, uh, from your own defensive standpoint. Uh, but also really effective too. So hopefully we're going to see some of that. And I think that's probably the first thing we're going to really see come through 
that's quite easy to, to to start to integrate early on it becomes more refined the offensive stuff the way we work the ball might take a little bit more time to develop but this I think that the first thing that's going to be evident uh, is the intensity of the team on and off the ball it'll be interesting to see how we um, how we adapt to that in terms of uh, current players because we, we at least think we do have some good athletes but they've not really been asked to do that too too much over over the time of uh, of the Pozzo era it's not really had too many pressing um, coaches but this one's definitely a little bit more aggressive so yeah that's kind of the off the ball uh, stuff there covered a little bit more so yeah a little bit of a kind of breakdown there of uh, style of play uh, but then the next question is really as a club how do we support him how do we make these changes uh, in terms of the club's philosophies going forwards what can we do uh, to, to help Rob Edwards is at his new team and I think that obviously the main answer that people are going to come to is time I think time is important it is somewhat of a project we're going to hear that word project a lot over the next few months I'm sure but it's true and we have to we have to accept the fact that we are looking at probably the biggest shift in uh, in approach off and on the pitch since the the pots has joined really uh, there's going to be a big change around I mean Roy Hodgson's side and setup compared to Rob Edwards is huge hugely different and I expect us to have some, you know, bumps along the road and we have to kind of find ways to navigate this. It's not going to be perfectly smooth transition. We're going to have to kind of learn some things. And that means having the time, the opportunity to make some mistakes or just have those opportunities to continue to develop rather than being too reactive. It might be, it might be quite quickly that things work. It might not. But we have to allow the opportunity because I think the outcome, the potential outcome is worth the, the short term negatives. Uh, we don't want to be in a situation like we've seen before. I mean, there's lots of every time you look at previous coaches, there's other factors that play out. But you could look at someone like Nathan Jones's time at Stoke, where things weren't really uh, things weren't really clicking, the results weren't coming. But you could see the underlying performance was there. There were lots of positives, but all these other factors just kind of contributed towards this negative outcome. And eventually, it led to him being sacked. And obviously, now you look at how he's doing at Luton, you can see there is there is some promise there if you can be bold enough to, to stick with it I think we have to try and this is some real standout negatives I think based on everything we've seen so far and what kind of background we've seen of, of Edwards we have to really trust our um, our appointment here for a little while I mean to say the least a little while um, but I think the next thing in terms of supporting him though will really be recruitment because we expect a bigger turnaround um, than, than perhaps last time we're in a little bit of a better financial situation based on the contracts we have of players that are at the club and also those that we're most likely or you know, definitely going to sell. You look at like Samantha Dennis, Ismail Asar, they're going to bring in fees. They're going to allow us some freedom uh, in, in this, this this transfer window and the next transfer window. Also, parachute payments. You know, we should be in a real dominant position when it comes to uh, finances. Obviously, the other teams being relegated, they maybe don't have the same assets that we do to sell, but they're going to be able to compete as well. This time, I expect us to be a little bit more active in the market. A, because we have that freedom. We don't have players that are on big contracts stuck at the club that we're struggling to move on till late in the window, like you know the Craig Dawsons or or uh, Etienne Capoues, these sorts of players that we, you know, we, it stops us working. We can't really plan too much around because we have to get them off the books and it comes around quite late and you don't have time to replace them. So I think this time uh, we have to be more active more earlier on and also due to the fact we are changing uh, how we play so so heavily and the sorts of players that we need so what kind of players do we need what are the main areas we have to address I mean first for me I touched on there with the centre-backs earlier that is the is a big one the outside centre-backs would be really key for us we have some quality at centre-back Siriata obviously performed very well last time in the championship I think there's a chance for him 
in this team, but it's most likely going to be in that central position. Um, someone that could be combative, you know, basically head and tackle everything that moves. That's Tiriata's job uh, if he's in that central position. The possession is less uh, integral to that role. Uh, and it suits Francisco Tiriata. He's someone that can play the ball nice and nice and tidy, but not expansive in his possession. We discussed that when he, when he signed originally. He's not someone that's going to look to, to break down the midfield, but he can be tidy and just keep that kind of short passing game going. And the same goes for Matty Pollock. He's not an expensive passer, but he's someone that we expect to be around the squad. Uh, even Truce Kong, again, fits that sort of role. But those outside centre-backs, that's where the question marks start to start to arise. Who's going to play in there? Craig Cathcart? It potentially, there's actually a chance he could do that. I think Cathcart is probably one of those who's a little more suited to playing into that area. Samir could do that as well, but I think they're still... Still a little bit of what we're really looking for. I wouldn't surprise me to see Samir operate that left-hand side and be able to push up with that left foot. The right-hand side centre-back, I think, is the one where if we were to see someone come in, it might be to fill that space. So that's definitely worth keeping an eye on. Also, wing-backs, kind of the next step forward. Wing-backs are vitally important to the system. Now, we actually have two good wing-backs. I think it's it's fair to say that, that Edwards would be quite pleased with the options he has should Kiko Femenia and, um, and Kamara, Hassan Kamara be the two that he has available. But for me, I tweeted about this earlier, is Kiko Femenia going to be fit? Is he going to be able to play this many games? Uh, I really question that. I, I don't think he's going to be able to at all. We've seen how many times he's been brought off early in games this season uh, and how many, you know, he's missed quite a few. Even the championship season, we had the same sort of thing. I think he's a great player. I think he fits this system perfectly. It's a shame uh, it's come a couple of years too late to him. I still think he'll contribute, but I, I do think we need to have someone there we can guarantee or at least hope uh, to see a, a lot more minutes from um, to allow us to play in this way because wingbacks are so important. We talked about the carrying of the ball. We talked about the crosses delivery into the box. A lot of that attack starts from those wide areas uh, and they're also key to engaging those presses as well. So we have to have someone that has um, has minutes in their legs and is able to consistently be there. We've got backup in Jeremy Ngakia. Do we feel that he's he's able to to work in this sort of team he might be able to Edwards might look at him and think yeah you know what we can get something out of Ngakia but I think we need someone a little bit more um, a little bit more incisive a little bit more efficient in possession uh, next role really apart from that I think the strikers we have some good options depends who stays and who goes but I like the mobility in, in the forward line you look at Jao Pedro uh, Chicho Hernandez these are players that can help us we, I think we still might need reinforcements but they're, they're good players that can fit this Midfield, though, I think we have to kind of adapt a little bit here. If Zinkenegel returns, I think that'd be a really, a really good one for us. If we can bring him back, we can involve him in the setup. In that more attacking midfield position, he can play between the lines, he can get wide. I think he'd really suit that. I think that'd be a, a player that Edwards would be quite keen to have. And I think if he has the option, it wouldn't surprise me if, he, if he's definitely in there, especially with the way that he's been able to kind of press at Nottingham Forest. I think that really does show... Uh, some quality that, that Edwards would like if he's you know, going to sit down and look at his time there. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's a player he'd like to have as a, quite a central figure to this team. But the players alongside that then, who takes that third midfielder role? If you're thinking loser, Zinkenegel, or someone like Zinkenegel, who's going to be next to them? And this is where we kind of have that depth. We It's depth, but it's not quality depth. It's just kind of an accumulation of similar players. Uh, Tom Cleverley, Yuri Kuchka potentially could stay. Musa Sissoko, you expect to be off. Then you've got Dan Gosling. These are question marks. But the only outsider here is Tom Dedibashiru is coming back. Uh, he had a good loan spell at Reading. He's maybe not the finished article, but I do like him in this system as well. And I think he could be a useful player for us. Whether or not we put the trust in there um, to, to kind of rely on him as a starter from week one, 
remains to be seen. But I, I, I think we just need a little bit more quality added, a little bit more quality in depth. And that midfield could be quite effective to this team. We have to be they have to be players that can play the ball, and we've not really had that for a long time. That those sorts of creative players or possession based players. So making that shift will be interesting. I do think we have some capable players there, but we do need to move on from a few. I think this is the time we expect to see uh, the likes of Tom Cleverley and, and Dan Gosling. Those sorts of careers aren't really likely to continue. I don't think uh, in this new look Watford side. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Great stuff there from Jordan, as always. And if you want to hear the whole of that clip, including video, uh, so you can see the visual tactics that Jordan is talking about, then please go to YouTube and search for Watford Analytics uh, and watch the whole thing there. Right. Okay, moving on. And uh, as Jordan mentioned there, Watford have, of course, signed a new head coach. And uh, I'll read out the statement here before we chat to our special guest today. Watford Football Club are delighted to confirm the appointment of Rob Edwards as its new head coach effective after the conclusion of the current 2021-2022 season. Rob had a contractual provision allowing him to leave Forest Green Rovers at any time to discuss employment opportunities at other clubs and the Hornets are delighted to confirm our discussions concluded today. Rob joined Forest Green Rovers as a head coach in 2021 where his attractive brand of football took the Gloucestershire side to the top of the Skybet League 2, winning the division early this month for the first time in the club's history. And his efforts were recognised by the EFL when he was uh, awarded the League 2 Manager of the Season Award. Now to chat to us all about this is someone who will know uh, a lot about the man in question. Uh, and it's Laurie Martin here from Gloucestershire Live uh, to talk to us. Uh, well, what about what about Rob Edwards? So, Laurie, uh, 
welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast. Uh, I don't know if you were expecting to probably talk to um, <laughs> to a now championship side, but uh, you know that's well wind and football and how it all works, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all come around very, very quickly, and you know, just a few days after Forest Green were celebrating a title win and sort of still on that high from winning the League Two title, and then everything's come sort of crashing back down to earth. I mean, it was on Monday where Forest Green's director of football was linked with Portsmouth, and then just a day later. You know, I think I think Edwards has sort of been linked with these jobs. Um, Watford and Birmingham as well came up in, in the last week or so, but it was really Tuesday, wasn't it? I think where the, the sort sort of story started coming out, and you thought, right, something might be happening here. So, yeah, it's it's all just happened very very quickly. Yesterday, a very sort of busy day in the way that it happened, and quite sort of almost emotionally draining. That you know, it's been. Rob Edwards has been the most successful and likable Forest Green manager in my life in my lifetime, and uh, and then just just gone just like that. So really weird how it's all happened. Let's um address the elephant in the room straight away, and 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 then we can move on from it. But um, the the chairman at Forest Green Rovers wasn't particularly happy with the way that Watford approached Rob Edwards. Yeah, so I guess there's always going to be two sides to every story, aren't there? And it'd be interesting to sort of know Rob Edwards' side to the story, which I guess is something we'll never know. And then there was sort of talk that uh, Edwards' contract at Forest Green was up, but Dale Vince has come out and said that's that's not true. It was running until May 2024. And then, as you mentioned there in the club statement, sort of the, uh, uh, an almost clause in the contract was activated. And, I, and again, I think Vince has come out and said that's not the case. And uh, Vince, outspoken as he always is, certainly lets his opinions known on Sky Sports News yesterday, um, said, you know, Watford are very much on his naughty list, which I thought was an interesting line. And basically, yeah, just not happy at the manner, not only in in which Watford have gone about it, but also Rob Edwards. And it took a phone call from Vince to Edwards on Tuesday night saying, is there anything to this speculation I keep keep seeing? And Vince said as soon as it happened, as as soon as Edwards started speaking, he he knew that, that was it and he was off. So almost took him by surprise as much as, Every Forest Green fan, I think. Just the contract side of things. Um, obviously, the uh, the kind of squabbles with Dale Vince and Dale Vince saying his piece on social media, which I'm sure won't end for a few days yet. I just wondered, given how well he's evidently done and how highly rated he evidently is and popular with the squad and what have you, why he wasn't on um, you know, a longer contract or something with a bit more protection built in and whether there was any kind of suggestion that before this interest came along, that, that, that Forest Green would look to put him under a, a long t- longer-term deal because it seems for someone who's done such a good job, he wasn't very well, or Forest Green didn't protect their asset particularly well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Forest Green, when he joined, it was, you know, they didn't reveal the length of the contract and they do that now with basically every player they sign, any staff, they, they like to keep that in-house. So it's difficult for me to say that because I... I genuinely don't know the, the details about it, but there's no doubt that it was quite evident after two or three months that Rob Edwards was a, was a bit special. But, you know, when when sort of the links were going around recently to Watford, Birmingham, and I, I did ge- genuinely believe Rob Edwards would, would stay and look to improve on what he's done and have a history-making season in League One. But when a club like Watford comes calling, you know, you, you can't say no to that, can you? It's it is a wonderful opportunity for him and I wish him all the best. So 
the contract stuff, I really don't know. And I guess it would be interesting to sort of find out a little bit more about that. I think one of the lines that um, that most intrigued me was the chairman at Forest Green Rovers. He said that, uh, you know, even though he, he is off now, um, he, he thinks that the, the Forest Green Rovers fans should, you know, sort of applaud him, you know, for his efforts this season because he's done a fantastic job. And, you know, I think that really does go a long way to saying just how how loved he was there at Forest Green Rovers. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he's done an incredible job and nobody should forget that, even if people do have sort of ill feeling towards him after the, the way he's gone. I mean, Edwards joined last May after f- five years of Forest Green having Mark Cooper in charge. Forest Green wanted to go a different way, get a young, innovative manager in and Edwards arrived with no EFL managerial experience. It had all been at youth team level or with the na- in the National League North with Telford. And Forest Green fans was, at the time are probably feeling how Watford fans are feeling now, thinking, right, we've got to give him a bit of, you know, we've got to be patient here, give him a bit of time to get things right, maybe a couple of transfer windows. But it was none of that with that with Edwards. He hit the ground running, four strains and Rovers were so many points clear at the top by Christmas and sort of the end of January, people were saying they're up already, that they could smash 100 points, you know, be record breakers. So the levels he set, particularly in the sort of, in the first 25 to 30 games were pretty unprecedented for League Two level. The consistency is uh, the side was showing, the football they were playing. Um, uh, as I said, just one season in charge, but no doubt about it, the most successful Forest Green manager in my lifetime and incredibly likeable as well. There's no doubt that Watford have certainly got a good thing. I think, you know, it's, it's different, isn't it? It's different to what uh, Watford have ever done before, I think, as a, as a club, but It'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds because he's been incredibly successful at Forest Green. It all sounds kind of very optimistic in terms of, of style of play and what have you and the, the, the things that have been written and said over the last sort of 48 hours or so. I just wondered, first and foremost, what um, what sort of coach is, is, uh, is Rob Edwards? Laurie, is he... Someone who's out on the the training training pitch every day, working with the players. Is he more removed? I, I, from what I read, the kind of role of assistant Richie Carl has been kind of praised by by players and by Rob himself. So, how does he has does he actually work day to day? I think I think Rob is is pretty hands on. I mean, he does you know Richie does a lot of um, lot of training stuff and particularly set pieces. I know Richie's been getting a lot of praise for that this season, both both attacking and defensive. Um, Edwards has also had a former teammate, Kevin Foley, who's played for Wolves, helping him out second half of this season with some sort of, you know, stuff on the training ground day to day. But Edwards is just a very modern coach in, in the respect that um, I think players can go to him with, with, with any problems. I think he's got very good communication skills, empathy, He's going to, I mean, the fact that he was with England youth teams and Wolves youth teams shows that he can connect with young players. It's been a very young squad at Forest Green. And I think every single one has, every single player has spoken about that man management side. The fact that he's at times put an, put an arm around the players and he's pumped belief and confidence into sort of every one of them. You know, some of, some of the players last season um, under Mark Cooper weren't anything particularly special. The likes of Kane Wilson and Matty Stevens. Um, but Edwards came in and he just got a tune out of them. And I think 
the consensus is from from players and fans is that that's just simply been confidence belief. Edwards has believed in them from day one, given them opportunities, and they've taken them. So, I think he just has a positive effect on people, and in that way, he manages to get the best out of them on the football pitch, as he has with basically every single Forest Green player this season. So, yeah, I think in, in terms of training ground stuff, I, I think he, you know he's he's always present and stuff like that. Richie takes a lot of it, but I think players will find him approachable and you know eat. Just, just have a chat with about about anything. So, almost like a like a mate than a, than a manager in some ways. No, nobody at Forest Green, no, none of the players ever called him manager or, or or gaffer. It was always Rob. You know, they just saw him as that. Yeah, I I kind of gathered the uh, there was a bit of a different culture there. I was reading a piece um, earlier today, and they were talking about kind of what he's cultivated and, and the fact that the kind of players and staff kind of socialise together for hours in some instances after dinner how how has he how has he gone about doing that Massey Stevens was someone as well was talking about kind of the impact that he's had and how different it's been to Mark Cooper how has he actually made that happen do you think from kind of following the team and being close to it uh, I think he sees culture as very important you know I, I, that's something he said before that culture environment if you don't have that at a football club you can't be successful and that's something he definitely placed emphasis on from day one um, that's been helped by the fact that Forest Green had a lot of the squad in place anyway. Um, they only signed five players in the summer and all of them were recruited by the time Forest Green went away for their pre-season tour. So that certainly helped in that respect. I'm not quite sure what it'll be like at Watford. I imagine there'll be a bit more bit more squad churn. So, so that certainly helps in that respect. But yeah, as you said, uh, it was a line from a press conference in December, I think, where Edward said, uh, um, when they go away for away games, they stay down after they've had food for for a couple of hours and just chat. And he said that's unique; that's never happened before. I don't get the impression that that's because of the group of players that they're, you know they're a very together group of players. But I get the impression he could do that with basically any group. I think that's sort of all because of him. Um, so, yeah, just very modern in his ways. Obviously, the coaching side's important to him. But if you ask him, he will say communication skills, empathy, creating a culture, being nice to people is is, is the way to go. Brilliant. And just in terms of kind of coming to Watford, I was reading another bit, I think it was with Sky, and he was kind of saying, you know, he speaks with Dale Vince kind of fairly regularly. It's obviously a smaller club uh, in size and in terms of structure and organisation than Watford. We have seen at Watford um, managers kind of get swallowed up by it a bit. I think the owner is kind of quite hands-on, has an office at the training ground, there's a sporting director, etc. How will he find that side of things? But also, specifically in terms of recruitment, how involved has he been at, at Forest Green in, in the recruitment of players? Now you said the only kind of five came in, but has he led on that? Because I suspect strongly that although we're going to need players to play a particular style of football in the system, he might not have as much say as he's been used to. Yeah, well, as you as you touched upon, he's not had to do a lot, which has certainly um, helped Forest Green this season. In terms of Forest Green, have a director of football, Richard Hughes, who, who does a lot of that side of it. If I'm to look at the signings Edwards made, one of them was Sadu Diallo, who Edwards has known since he was about 15. Uh, played played with the youth teams at Man City and Wolves. So that was sort of an Edwards signing. Ben Stevenson was another who Edwards had previously worked with. 
um and, and a couple a couple more were sort of i think more sort of rich hughes based ones so no doubt edwards had a say and brought in characters that he wanted to bring in um but he didn't have to recruit too much and it sort of would have been interesting to see what happened this summer where i think forest green are more likely to recruit nine ten maybe even 11 players and to see how much say he would have had um and that's another thing as well i think he's definitely the sort of man who wants to recruit characters as, as well as players which probably isn't too too uncommon these days with with modern coaches uh so it will be interesting at Watford to see how much say he gets I'm going to say now that I think Kane Wilson and Ibu Adams could well follow him in, uh, that's not me knowing anything but they're two players ready for the championship and they're players who have done really well with Forest Green this season and fitted really well into Edwards's style so that wouldn't surprise me at all so interesting see how he gets on because obviously he's had to recruit for a League 2 club now he's going into what will be a cha- championship club with you know highly paid players big egos how will he handle that I think that's going to be interesting to see so yeah the recruitment is, is something I'll sort of keep an eye out for but I'd expect him to want to recruit young hungry and quite a few sort of homegrown players You've almost preempted uh, a question I was going to ask there in terms of Kane Wilson, a, a few people uh, with Watford shirts on have been uh, taking a closer look at the Forest Green Rovers squad now that they know that uh, you know the ex-gaffer is going to be the the new one here. And and Kane Wilson certainly uh, has you know opened a few eyes. He's he's got some great numbers um, in terms of stats. It looks like he's had a real breakthrough season in terms of you know what he's done previously. Yeah, Kane's been absolutely incredible for Forest Green this season after uh, what I'm sure he'd admit himself was a pretty average first season. He struggled with injuries and he did well when he played, but even when he was fit, he still kind of struggled to get into the team. Uh, Edwards came out recently in a press conference. It was just after Wilson had won the player of the season, lead to player of the season at the EFL Awards. And I asked Edwards saying, so when did you realise Kane was special? And he said, we played a pre-season training game behind closed doors against Wolves first week of pre-season Kane Wilson played 45 minutes and I knew then he was special um, and he's absolutely thrived under Edwards this season Edwards likes his wing backs to be really aggressive they get really high up the pitch and any Watford fans who have looked at any sort of stats based websites will see they get a hell of a lot of crosses in the box and him and Nicky Cadden on the other side have a lot of assists and goal contributions in general between them um, so Wilson's definitely championship ready. I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that he will leave Forest Green this summer. And I also think he's going to skip out of the league. I don't think, I, I just think championship clubs is too much, it's too good of an opportunity to, to turn down with him. You know, he's he's still very young. Mm. He could he could be the next big thing. So I think championship clubs are definitely going to jump at him. So, and of course, Edwards is going to imp- implement the same system, three four one two. That's what I'm sure Watford will be playing next season. He fits into it. He's got on really well with Rob this season. And he said before that, you know, I own everything, basically. I own everything for the season I've had. So I think it definitely sort of seems to make a lot of sense. You mentioned Abrima Adams there as well. That's not one that I'd uh, I'd taken, you know, a closer look at. Tell us a little bit about him and, and why you think that he might be suited to Watford. I think Ibu Adams is the most complete player in League Two. And I've thought that for quite a while. And Forrest Green have done really well to keep hold of him for three seasons. Um, his, his performance level has been pretty consistent throughout, even under Mark Cooper. Um, and I think 
he was ready to go up a level in, after his first season at the club. So Frostgren have done amazingly to keep him for three. Ibu's got a very unique skill set. He's extremely athletic. He can run for days. Rob has talked about his bendy legs before. He's got, you, you think a player's got past him, but he'll just reach his leg out and just manage to get get the ball away from them. He ranks so highly on tackles, interceptions, sometimes plays as a 10, sometimes plays as an eight, but he's just so aggressive where wherever he goes. Um, if he could finish, he'd be incredibly complete. Uh there's been reports that Cardiff and Blackpool have been interested amongst a, a few other championship sides, but I think almost every club in the EFL would benefit from a Ibu Adams. He's just he's extremely complete and such a unique skill set that I don't think you can find in many other players. Uh, and another one that sort of he you know got on very well with Edwards this season, sort of fits that profile. Still quite young, room to improve, young, hungry. So, again, I do think that could possibly be an option. Again, I don't think there's any doubt he'll leave Forest Green. It's just where he goes. Wouldn't have said Watford before, but if Edwards wants to put together a young squad of players he can trust, then who knows, it could be an option. What's his playing style? Is he like an attacking midfielder? Is that, Or is it more of a sitting? He started off the season in a 10. And I think I particularly liked him there because he's a very chaotic player, how I describe him. He's got a great leap on him. He just runs into people. Um, but then he got moved back again into an eight where he still has licence to run. And Edwards has made that clear that Ibrahim's best best position is where he's got licence to run, almost do what he wants in a way. Wherever you play him, he's going he's gonna to run forwards and back because he, he just leaves everything out there. So I think, I think after a bit of experimenting, I think Edwards probably prefers him as an eight, but he can definitely do that attacking midfield role as well. Nice one. Talk to us about the kind of playing style, Laurie. We obviously know about the the shape and the wing backs, but what? How do um, Forest Green play in, and and how do they kind of set up out of possession as well? Yeah, so it's a it's a three four one two as mentioned already. That's the shape. He's stuck with that all season. Um, some fans, Forest Green, towards the end of the season, I think they won four out of seventeen, and some fans were saying that there's no plan B. We're sticking with this all the time, but he absolutely trust his philosophy and system and he won't change for anyone uh, I think out of the 53 games this season Forest Green played a different formation just once which was an experimental formation against St Albans in the cup which didn't work so he's trusted it throughout um, as I say the wing backs aggressive press high up the pitch uh, he talks a lot about five second regains he wants to win the ball back very quickly he's, he's still possession based um, I think there can't be too many more possession-based teams in League Two than than Forest Green. But the one notable difference this season from Mark Cooper, who was also a possession-based manager, has just been that aggressiveness out of possession and wanting to win the ball back very quickly. He's opted for two strikers, um, one a target man in Jamil Matt, and then he goes for a slightly sort of nippier poacher option, someone who can run in behind in either Josh March or Matty Stevens, the type that come alive in the box. Uh, he likes busy centre midfielders who are going to win the ball back very quickly, whether that be Adams, whether that be Ben Stevenson this season. And then wide centre-backs, like the one on the right this season, Yudoka Godwin-Milif, is, is quick and really sort of joins in with, with the attacking build-up, likes to overlap. The other one on the other side, whether that was Bailey Cargill or Don Bernard, a bit more reserved, a bit more conservative. And then sort of the anchor in the middle, which has been Jordan Moore-Taylor this season, just organises everything aerially dominant can play a little bit as well. 
So it's been it's been amazing to watch, especially the first half of this half of the season where I almost don't think teams are expecting it, and Forest Green were knocking up four, five, six goals past teams at times because they they couldn't deal with with the with the combinations, the slick attacking play. Um, but the second half of the season was a bit more tricky, where I think teams were just a bit more aware of it, and that's probably one of the reasons behind the drop off Forest Green had that. So much of the supply came from wide. A lot of teams just went, well, well, we'll double up. We'll double up on Wilson and Cadden. And you've got to try and go through the middle instead. Edwards just wanted to do it his way, which was, you know, going through the wing back. So it, it, it's a difficult one. Out, out of possession, I guess the one thing I would say is that sometimes Forest Green would, because they attacked in such numbers last season, you know, the wing backs would go, one of the centre backs would go. Sometimes you could, they could leave themselves quite prone to counter-attacks and they did recently against decent counter-attacking outfits in Swindon and Harrogate but defensively they've the numbers have been pretty good all season in terms of you know expected goals against actual goals against um, I think even you know expected goals from set pieces has been very very low so try and pick holes in it but there aren't many so I think if you know Edwards can sort of build his own squad in that 3-4-1-2 it could be quite exciting we know from earlier on in his uh, in his sort of coaching career that uh, he was, you know, the, a coach of the England under twenties, and then took on the head coach role at England under sixteens. That suggests to me that he's very good at working with with youngsters. Does he seem to have that kind of ability when he was at Forest Green Rovers that he particularly enjoyed working with with, with you know the younger players? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think he's had a really good grounding, hasn't he? Because he's had that with Wolves in England. But he's also been at Telford. So when he came to Forest Green, it was a little bit like he's covered all levels almost. He's been down to non-league, but he's been managing, no doubt, some you know egos and players who will go on to do very good things uh, for England and, and Wolves youth teams. But yeah, definitely impression that he, he liked doing that. That's, that was Forest Green's recruitment policy before he came in anyway. You recruit young players, develop them and try and sell them on for a fee. And he's absolutely bought into he absolutely bought into that throughout. I think that's one of the reasons why he joined the club in the first place. Probably something I asked him about in his first interview. Uh, I think Forest Green had the third youngest squad in the league this season. Um, Scunthorpe and Swindon were the only ones lower, but I think they were almost forced to do it just because of circumstances. Forest Green really stuck to the the belief that you know having a young squad could get them through. A lot of those players as well. It, it, I, I guess he just managed. Uh, all sorts of characters in that team. Some came from Premier League academies, like you know Kane Wilson from from West Brom, but some came from non-league. Josh Josh March, Udoka Godwin, Malif. So he he managed all sorts of characters. But it was a it was a youthful side, and as I say, because he had that rounding with England and Wolves, I just think he was just able to connect with with the young players. He knew what their sort of needs were and knew how each individual needed to be spoken to. Um, in turn, managed to get the best out of everyone. Yeah, he was he was a player at all, wasn't he? Back in back in the day, um, a very decent centre back, actually, by all accounts. I, I wonder, actually, if um, you know, being you know a defender, you don't, you don't always see this, but quite often managers that uh, were defenders when they go into coaching, they uh, they tend to you know care quite a lot about the defensive side of the game, you know, more so than you know than, than strikers that uh, that go into coaching. I wonder, have you have you have you um, witnessed his um? You know, his defensive aptitude? I'll be honest, I don't think so because the the attacking football is what's caught the eye all season. 
the the way Forest Green go forward. And I think maybe Edwards would admit himself he wasn't, you know, I can't claim to have watched him too much in his playing days, but not a particularly sort of glamorous centre-half in, in the way he played. But he, you know, his, clearly his footballing philosophy is, is good at attacking football. But Forest Green started the season and conceded a, a fair few goals within the first sort of month or so. And then it sort of seemed to level out. Um, and he seemed to think that they weren't doing much wrong in that first month defensively. It was just, you know, being on the end of, you know, I don't know, a few penalty decisions or a few long shots going in, whatever it was. But then you look at the numbers defensively, and Forest Green have had a few freak results, 5-5 against Oldham, for example. But, I mean, if you took that out, I think they would probably have the best defensive record in the league. They were up there for clean sheets. Um, I think they only conceded... It might have been five times from set, from set piece situations this season, and three of those were in one game. So he, he definitely sort of cares about that side, and no doubt that the proofs in the pudding, the proofs in the numbers that they've been very successful. But no doubt the attacking players was caught the eye this season. What's what's the mood from the fans? Uh, you know, are they are they sort of like? Um... Do they feel cheated, or or are they are they you know quite humble and, and and you know sort of saying well you know fair enough um, it's a good opportunity and you've you done you did the job you came in to do or or is it a bit of bitterness? Yeah, I think some feel let down and some feel cheated. I think I look at it and and think that you know Rob Edwards exceeded expectations for me. I think some people have said oh well he met expectations you know but. I don't think that squad really had any right to win the league, to be honest. I think the reason everyone now thinks the squad is so good is because Rob Edwards made them into such good players. Um, but yeah, there's no doubt a lot of anger in the fan base, I think, because of the of the way it's happened. I don't think... I think if it had happened in sort of a dream scenario, it would have been you know, an open letter to, to supporters and it wouldn't have happened all so quickly. But it's just come around in a way which you know Forest Green fans were, were out celebrating with Edwards and Kyle on, on Saturday afternoon and evening and now it, I, th- I think they just expected more because Rob Edwards is a project manager the reason Forest Green bought him in is because they thought he could be part of a sort of long-term project and then it's sort of just ended after a season so there is there is a lot of anger I'm sort I almost still don't know how I feel about it generally I, I'm still in a bit of shock to be honest but I think, I think Forest Green eventually will move on. But I think the the anger that there is in parts of the fan base at the minute won't go until Forest Green move forward with a new manager and you know new players in the squad. Does it seem to you as if this is the, this is the start of something new for Watford as a, a fan? You know, with no ties to to this area. Yeah, I think so. I think every Forest Green fan wishes it was, you know, Liam Manning or Russell Martin that <laughs> got, got got poached, but it just happened to be ours. But you know, it does seem like a, a new a new era. But I just I just watch on with real interest at how he manages, uh, you know, egos and what he does recruitment wise. Yeah, I just think it'll be really interesting because it could be a could kind of a case of make or break I guess if if he does well then he's coming up against Pep and Jürgen in the Premier League isn't he and if he doesn't then who knows where he goes from there mm. I, th- I think the important thing is his given time uh, and whether he'll be given yeah, that or absolutely. not I don't know but hopefully the owners of uh, 
sought to to change their ways a bit and and he'll get at least the whole season but you never know really do you Vicarage Road what what's he like um you know talking to him on a on a on a personal level when you when you chat to him after games uh, he, he never got too low never really got too high either but he manages to keep himself pretty level but just sort of on a on a personal note of it he Sometimes when you were waiting in a Zoom presser, or he'd ask you stuff about about your day and and, and stuff like that, you know. I remember when it was a couple of days after my birthday, he said in the Zoom presser, "Oh, happy birthday! What did you get up to last night?" and everything. I was just like, "Wow, okay." And then I went to the um, EFL awards with um, with with the team and with, with Edwards, and he didn't have to speak to me because he was there with all the staff. But he genuinely made an effort to ask me questions and you know, about, about the season and about myself, which he didn't have to do and I really appreciated. So as a man, he's def he's the best I've come across in football so far, even though that's been a pretty short amount of time, but does come across as so genuine. That sounds good to hear, Laurie. Great. Well, that's Laurie Martin there, Forest Green Rovers reporter from Gloucestershire Live. Uh, Laurie, it's been uh, wonderful having you on. Thank you very much for, for joining us and uh, good luck with your studies as well. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Cheers. Good luck. Been really great stuff, really insightful. Thank you, Laurie. Good stuff, Laurie Martin. There, Tom. It's been a, a bumper show. It's been nice to talk in positive terms for the first time in what feels like forever, doesn't it? So, um, as I say, we've got we've got something to look forward to now. I thought what Laurie had to say was really insightful and interesting, and you know, a lot of the things that you want to hear about um, about the potential or not potential about the new manager. So um, I'm I'm really looking forward to next season, and I hope that this does really signal a change in um you know direction and attitude and, and whatnot from the from the club as well. So yes, onwards and upwards despite what has been a, a wretched season. Good stuff. Well there's another Watford game coming up. Uh the last home game in fact this Sunday against Leicester. Two o'clock it is and we'll be bringing you uh, a, uh, a chat after the game, dropping on um, on Monday or Tuesday. But uh, a lot more positivity now that we've got to, a new head coach to build around, Tom. So I'm sure we'll, we'll actually quite enjoy these these next pods that are coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Two to go and uh, and then we can all recharge our batteries for, for next season and hopefully a promotion push. Well, OK, good stuff. I'll join myself, Tom and Jordan for that one. Uh, we've been the What for Buzz podcast. Oh, and by the way, Tom, I forgot to mention what a fantastic job you and Jordan did in my in my stead for the last one. Uh, really enjoyed listening to that. Yeah, well, you're very welcome, mate. It's always nice to step into the hosting shoes, but I don't think I'd want to do it on a regular basis. I want to got things to get off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to listen to that one, it is available um, to do so. Just go to uh, any good podcast site, uh, and whilst you're there, if you happen to be on our on an Apple podcast site, then uh, leave us a review. Tell us what you think of the show. You can tap there, one, two, three, four, or five stars and uh, write a little review and tell us what you think of the pod. It's always nice to to read those out and we'll read those on the show next time. Well, it's been a lovely one. Thanks for joining us. Uh, a point. we got a point, guys. We've ended the run of, uh, what was it, 11 home defeats in a row? Thank goodness. All right, see you all next time. Bye-bye. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.